welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is February 17th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 48. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of the Bible. So today we're going to read from Genesis 48, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get to our reading today from Genesis 48. And Genesis 48 says this, After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. And so he took with him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. And then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. It said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful, multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring and after you for an eternal, everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Paddan, to to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And when Israel saw Joseph, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God gave me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. And so Joseph brought them near, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands from Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow to be a multitude into the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people, and his he shall also be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And then Israel said to Joseph, 
Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Well, this is our reading today from Genesis 48. Jacob demanded to be buried in the burying place of his fathers in Canaan in, in Genesis 47, 29-31. And this reveals his awareness that he is not going to live to see the fullness of the promises of God realized on earth. He knows that he's about to die. That This is a fact confirmed in our chapter today, which I just read. And this chapter speaks of Jacob's illness with the same Hebrew term used elsewhere in the Word of God for terminal sickness. Joseph, the devoted son that he is, goes to his father on his deathbed, taking his son Manasseh and Ephraim with him to see their grandfather in verses 1-2 through two of our chapter today. Now, Moses here records Jacob's adoption of his grandsons Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons in verse 5. This very act is, is best seen as Jacob's ultimate expression of his deep affection for Joseph. The law later tells us that the firstborn son normally received a double portion of his father's blessing to illustrate his privileged status in Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17. And now, Jacob's eldest son Reuben should have inherited this favor, and yet he proved his unworthiness when he slept with his father's concubine in Genesis 35, 22. Now, for the most part, Jacob's other boys are shady characters, as we saw in chapter 34. And so he chooses his favorite son absent from him for more than 20 years to gain the double blessing. Now, Jacob's 11 other sons father one tribe apiece, but Joseph's inheritance will be reckoned through the two tribes named after sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Joseph's honor belongs to the entire nation, but these two clans will forever be regarded as special because they're directly linked to the one who saved the world from the famine. Now, Jacob's preface to his adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh, it even sets up the passing on of the patriarchal blessing to all the sons. Now, recalling his encounter with the Lord at Luz and Bethel in Genesis 28, Jacob summarizes the content of God's word to him, life, land, and offspring in Genesis 48, 3-4, and with verbiage that aligns his blessing with the one given to Abraham and Isaac. A new era in the history of the Lord's people is about to begin. And now Jacob's words reveal his faith that even his death cannot thwart God's intent to bless his people. The Almighty's promise to Abraham, mediated through Isaac and now Jacob, must come true even if it must be passed down once again. Now John Calvin says that Joseph's rush to see his father one last time shows that he regards it as a greater privilege to be a son of Jacob than to preside over a hundred kingdoms. Joseph saw his father's great faith on his deathbed and knew that the blessing of his father's God must be for his or all else will be nothing. You see, if the Lord tarries, we too may die before seeing the fullness of God's promise. Will we be like Jacob and trust that God's promises will be fulfilled, even if our death comes first? Well, our chapter uh, today silences any doubt that God called Jacob to be the patriarch of the nation of Israel, and even to pass on the blessing he inherited from his forefathers. Having adopted Joseph's sons Ephraim and Manasseh in Genesis 48, 5-6, Jacob now moves to bless them in an episode reminiscent of the time Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in chapter 27. 
And seeing Joseph standing there with two others by his side, Jacob inquires about the identities of these boys in verse 8. Now, commentators have questioned why Jacob even asked this, as he presumably saw Ephraim and Manasseh standing beside their father as he informed Joseph of his intent to take his grandsons as his own sons. Now, one scholar suggests that Jacob's query, who are these, in verse 8, it's part of a formal adoption ritual and is necessary for the boys to become Jacob's legal heirs. And yet the patriarch's question is probably just evidence of his impaired eyesight, if not total blindness as we see in verse 10. Now, given that he is about to define the destinies of these two young men with his words, Jacob would certainly want to be assured of their identities. And as we've seen, the circumstances of this blessing are nearly identical to the time when Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Isaac's eyes were dim, according to Genesis 27.1, and now Jacob suffers the same ailment, according to Genesis 48.10. Now, just as Isaac had two sons needing a blessing, so too Jacob finds himself faced with the need to speak good words over a pair of boys. God has sovereignly ordained this moment, and it's similar to the earlier blessing, to show Jacob's role as the one uh, to hand on the divine favor. It's also intended to test Jacob's character. Will he willingly bless according to the Lord's intention, or will he be like Isaac and have to be forced to do the right thing in Genesis 27? Now, Jacob's eagerness to bless both sons in verse 10 of our chapter today, as opposed to Isaac's desire to favor Esau alone, is our first clue that the ensuing encounter will be treated differently than the one in which Jacob tricked his father. In fact, most importantly is Jacob's affirmation of God's blessing in his life, as we see in verse 11. He is aware that the Lord has surpassed even his wildest dreams, and this too is evidence of faith. It suggests his spiritual sensitivity and even his willingness to act on the ways of the Lord. Matthew Henry says this, The eye of faith must be very clear when the eye of the body is very much clouded. And at the end, Jacob does not dwell on the hardships of life. He even recognizes the great blessing of God in allowing him to see not only his favorite son alive, but also his grandsons. You see, if we do not dwell in our blessings, we will fall into covetousness and greed. Thank the Lord for your blessings today and encourage a friend in Christ to do the same. Liar, self-reliant, image consciousness, and careless, these are all adjectives that accurately describe most of Jacob's life. Whether deceiving his father in Genesis 27, using his own wits to appease Esau in Genesis 32, worrying more about his reputation than his daughter's safety in chapter 34, or ignoring the fraternal hatred incited by favoring of Joseph in chapter 37, Jacob has not been the paragon of piety. And yet our chapter tells us that Jacob did not end his life this way. The time now has come for Jacob to bless Ephraim and Manasseh in Genesis 48, 1-11. And so Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob. And even facing his father, Joseph places Manasseh on the right side, according to verses 12-13, through the place of honor, since the firstborn son normally got the better blessing. The younger Ephraim would ordinarily get a lesser share of this favor, and so he is brought to his grandfather's left side. And with the two young men before him, Jacob sits in the seat of his father Isaac, who was tricked into blessing the younger son in chapter 27 of Genesis. Only this time, his favor is that which is being sought. 
Yet now, Jacob does not convey the blessing dishonestly or in secret as he might have if he were still a huckster. And yet he also refuses to rely on his culture sense propriety, which would have given him a better word to the elder Manasseh. In fact, Jacob does not care that, that Joseph will think him strange for divine convention, nor does he carelessly speak of Ephraim as his only son, like he did with Benjamin in Genesis 42. No, Jacob knowingly delivers a better portion to the younger man, crossing his arms before everyone present to place his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh in verse 14 of our chapter today. And Jacob has learned that the Lord does not have to act in line with a conventional way of doing things. The Lord is sovereignly free to accomplish his goodwill apart from our plans and presumptions. And we must embrace his way even if it's unconventional. Our self-reliance and our efforts to deceive are wrong, not to mention they're foolish. You see, God-dependent, noble, and careful, these traits define Jacob on his deathbed. True servants of Christ are to be the same today. Jacob learned that the ways of the Lord, who exalts what men might forget, and gives a better blessing to the younger Ephraim, by relying on God's ways honestly, nobly, and even carefully, if an outsider were called upon to write the history of your life, would character qualities like honesty and even carefulness show themselves time and time again? Would you be shown as a person who relied on the Lord and did what he said was right, even when it cost you dearly? Well, Isaac violated the will of God when he tried to favor Esau over Jacob in Genesis 27. But in the Lord's providence, Isaac's ignorant blessing of his youngest son strengthened the ancient Israelites' trust in Yahweh's promise. Isaac did not intend for Jacob to be blessed. In fact, the words he spoke over his son, though, came true. If this accidental blessing was fulfilled, how much more confident could the people of Israel be that Jacob's intentional blessing of Ephraim would come to pass? Now, such confidence in God's word was worth having. The tribe of Ephraim attained great prominence during the Old Covenant period. Joshua, one of the great leaders in Israelite history, hailed from Ephraim according to Numbers 13.8 and Numbers 13.16. And that clan was the preeminent tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel after it separated from the southern kingdom of Judah according to 1 Kings 11.9 through 12.33. In fact, Ephraim is often used in the prophetic books as a designation for the entire northern kingdom, for example, in Hosea 5.12. And so the fulfillment also gives the church a secure hope that God will keep his word today. The Lord kept his word in the past, and since he does not change, according to Malachi 3.6, we know that he will keep his word in the future. In fact, in trusting God for the things yet to come, we are like Jacob, who was also convinced the Almighty would fulfill his pledge in the future, as we've seen in our chapter today. In fact, Jacob tells Joseph that God will not leave him in Egypt. He will be with him and even take him up to the promised land in Genesis 48:21 through 22 just as God pledged in Genesis 46, 1 through 4. And so to ensure Joseph will believe him and not become too attached to Egypt, Jacob promises him a mountain slope likely obtained in a battle that Moses does not record in Genesis 48, 22. Owning land in Canaan tied Joseph and his clan there, reminding them of their real home. As we've talked about Hebrews 11:21, it singles out Jacob's blessing in Genesis 48 as a paradigm of faith. After all, in looking to the things yet to come, the patriarch shows, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, assurance of things hoped for and convictions of things not seen, both of which make up true hope in the Lord. 
That is to say, believing God for that which he has only seen only in part, Jacob shows what it means to be a person of faith. John Calvin says, until our faith rises to lay hold on those things which are removed far off, we know not what is uh, to set our seal to the word of God. See, the Christian life is future-oriented. We by no means deny the importance of the present, but we recognize that our life now is guided by what will happen in the future. Our secure hope in what God is going to do one day must show itself in our conduct, our priorities, our relationships, and even our vocation. Now, Moses tells us that Jacob intends for his blessing on Ephraim, Manasseh, and Genesis 48 to be regarded as his blessing on their father, Joseph. Now, the words Jacob speaks in Genesis 48, 15 through 16 are true for both of Joseph's sons since they are given to their common father. So this clear identification of the blessing of, on the father with the blessing on the son, it also illustrates the biblical principle that God passes the covenant blessings and responsibilities of one generation to the next. But do not forget that covenant Children reap covenant curses if they do not live in gratitude for the Lord's unmerited favor, as we're going to see in Exodus 25 through 6. Now, Jacob's blessing, it depicts the nature of the one he served, according to verses 15 through 16 of our chapter today. First, Abraham and Isaac walked with the Lord. True to his word, for his name's sake alone, the Lord keeps his covenants from generation to generation. Second, our creator's shepherds us like he did Jacob, leading us in the way of righteousness and disciplining us when we go astray, as we see in Genesis 29 through 32 and Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. Finally, he is the angel who redeems us in Genesis 48:16. He is not a creaturely angel, to be clear, but the angel of the Lord with whom Jacob wrestled, as we've seen in Genesis 32:22-32, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Messiah, according to churchmen throughout history. Centuries after Jacob lived, God came to earth in the person and work of Christ to defeat sin and to reveal his faithfulness, as we're going to see in John 1, 1 through 18. And so both Ephraim and Manasseh share in Jacob's blessing, but the younger Ephraim gets a larger portion of favor. And so Joseph objects when this happens because his father defies the normal custom, which typically grants more to the older son, according to Genesis 48, 17 through 18. Unless Jacob's act be mistaken, he declares his innocence to place Ephraim over his brother, giving us a powerful illustration of the grace of God in verses 19 through 20. Tradition says the elder Manasseh is owed a better blessing, and yet the Lord gives every good gift, and as John Calvin writes, since God owes no one anything, he is free to confer his gifts at his own pleasure. Now, Jacob's blessing, Matthew Henry says, it reminds us that grace does not deserve the order of nature, nor does God prefer those who think fittest to be preferred, but as it pleases him. John Calvin comments, uh, saying that the Lord purposely changed the law of nature to teach us that what he freely confers upon us is entirely the result of his own will. You see, we tend to think, at least subconsciously, that God chooses us because we're nice or cuter or smarter than our neighbor. But let us remember that we were in bondage to sin and that the Lord saved us in his mercy alone, not because we were or are deserving, Titus 3, 3-7 tells us. What this should do, it should, should help us to remember the amazing grace of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave. Today is February 17th, and we've looked at Genesis 48. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.